Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks, as always, to you guys for joining us. We are breaking down college football playoff contenders. That's what we do here on the Survivor Show. Six are in. We talk, hey, it's our preseason discussion. Who deserves to be talked about? Who deserves to be ranked? What we're ranking today, the best running backs among the playoff contenders. And we know we are ranking Baylor, Texas A&M, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia in that mix. Might we also be ranking North Carolina State and Michigan? Those are the two teams we're going to talk about off the bat. Shahan, we had, um, you know, we're trying to figure out as we go through this, like who who should we talk about? We, we, we put Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama in at the start as kind of the sure things of playoff contenders this year. Then we looked at the Big 12. That's how Baylor got in. Then last week we talked about who's the third best SEC team. And that's how Texas A&M got in. We're not sticking to a conference here, but I do think there are some similarities between North Carolina State and Michigan because the the most established programs in their conferences, the Big Ten and the ACC, Ohio State and Clemson, are in. They are, are I guess, are they the second best teams in each of those conferences? Uh, Michigan probably more established. They made the playoff last year. NC State trying to maybe build up to a peak that it's never reached before. But that I think the conversations are similar enough, which is why we're doing those two teams today. Yeah, I think that they have a lot of parallels. I think it makes a lot of sense. The funny thing is, once you get past the top group of like, well, really, (laughs) Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, it it really becomes a little tenuous, right? Like, it it becomes an interesting discussion. It's going to depend on some breaks coming forward. And again, in the ACC and in the Big Ten, I expect that these will probably be the two top teams heading into the year. But there's a lot of teams that could knock them off their perch as well. Yeah, it's not guaranteed, which is why it's a discussion. Michigan's not for sure the second best team in the Big Ten this year. I I don't think. I think and we may end up having a Wisconsin conversation or a Penn State or Michigan State conversation on one of the other preseason episodes. We don't know. I think you could make a case for Miami, right? In the ACC, I think they're, you know, we've talked about Miami here and there. Um, but these are the teams we're gonna deal with. So let's dive in. I'll start off by making the case for Michigan and why I think, and then you can make the case against Michigan and then we'll get into the Michigan Wolverines. They're a playoff team a year ago. They did lose all their best players, <laughs> which, which is a point. Which is, that's a point for you, Shahan. I would say that's a point in Shahan's favor, but I will say this and I'm kind of kidding, but of course we know they lost Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and Dax Hill and Hassan Haskins and a lot of really important guys. I do think there's a depth of talent there now that is real. When you look at the four recruiting classes that will make up most of, all of Michigan's roster this year, the 2019, 2021, and 2022 recruiting classes, they ranked 8th, 10th, 13th, and 9th in the country. So they have a – it's not a one-time peak. They are also interesting – man, I'm going to start making points for you. 
they are like the Clemson of the North because they lost their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. And both of them were really good. And both of them were really, 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 really important to their success last year. Josh Gaddis on the offensive side and Mike McDonald on the defensive side. But I think this is a real program. And I think the biggest problem for Michigan was the mental hurdle of Ohio State. I think it, it, threw a monkey wrench into their thought process and to their entire season. And at Big Ten Media Days, a lot of mission guys are talking about, we know how to do it now. We watched it. We lived it. Jim Harbaugh was talking about all the backups a year ago who did the same work as everybody else, and they saw the payoff. They have proof. They have evidence at Michigan right now. And they've kind of always had pretty good talent in the Harbaugh era, but they didn't have proof. And now they have proof. And I think that is enough. I don't think this is a one-time thing where they're going to fall off a cliff. So I think what Michigan football is right now, they deserve to be in a preseason playoff contender discussion. So you made a lot of good points there. But here's my counters. Think about what made Michigan great last year. Every one of those factors is gone. They had two of the best defensive ends in college football. Both are gone. They had a great defensive coordinator. He's gone. They had the Broyles Award winner at offensive coordinator. He's gone. And they are talented. I do agree that they built up a depth of talent. But, you know, in 2021, when you look at the 247 talent composite, which uh, takes into account your whole roster, they were only number 15. They were behind Notre Dame, Miami, Auburn, Texas. Like, they're pretty far back. And so, yes, I agree that they've built up a certain level of depth, and I think they built up a certain level of identity as well. But this is not the sort of team from a talent perspective that you just assume can lose everybody and just replace it. And when you start to look at what needs to get better this upcoming year, I still think they're going to have a great offensive line. I still think they're going to be pretty good on defense. But where are they special this year? I don't necessarily see a place where they're special. I, I think they're going to improve in the passing game. I, I think that they could potentially maintain some of, some of their strength in the secondary. But I don't know where they have a huge advantage heading into this year. And last year, I could very easily point you to the defensive ends and the running game and also just the coaching staff. I don't think that exists this year. I, I don't see Michigan as one of those teams. You want to know I screwed up the show. Sorry, guys. I didn't send out the the poll to the listeners on Twitter to find out what their vote is on Michigan and NC State. They're like the third vote in this. That's what we always say. Hey, you guys get the third vote. Shahan gets a vote. I get a vote. And the listeners get a vote. I didn't send it out. I also, I don't only do college football stuff. And there's kind of some Deshaun Watson things happening in my neck of the woods that I was, uh, I, I was uh, kind of tied up with, kind of blew a hole in my brain um, thinking about it. Like it just sucked up all the energy in the room. So I blew it. So we're going to have, you and I, this is going to be, this is like, these are negotiations. There's no tiebreaker. There's no tiebreaker on Michigan or NC State. We are going to have to come to an agreement one way or another. And if we were in person, we could arm wrestle, which is always, <laughs> I find, to be a good way to figure things out. So just, we, just as people listen to this conversation, I apologize. I'll do it after the fact and come back and report next week. Here's the thing with Michigan. Mike McDonald did, as a defensive coordinator last year, did kind of come out of nowhere. Jim Harbaugh was saying this, that when he was thinking about replacing Don Brown, and he talked to his brother, John, the Baltimore Ravens head coach, and he said John Harbaugh gave him two names of guys that had worked with him. One was Mike McDonald and one was Jesse Minter. And 
Harbaugh met with Mike McDonald and Jim and just hit it off with Mike McDonald to the point that he just hired Mike McDonald. And now he had he hired Jesse Minner. He he took the other guy. So it's sort of like this this tree. It's the same parts of the tree. Um, if you believe in that style of defense, if you believe in that culture, they're continuing a lot of that. So which is the same conversation you would have at Clemson. Brent Venables left, but they hired from within and they're continuing uh, with. Uh, was it Wes Goodwin? Yeah, that right. Yeah. You're continuing a lot of the same things. And then the offensive side of the ball, Josh Gaddis had, I think, developed over several years into a really good offensive coordinator. I don't think he was that immediately at Michigan. But then a year ago, he had a I thought he had a real feel for it, that they didn't have a spectacular passing game. But I thought they were balanced within the run game, which is to be balanced in in, in football doesn't mean 50 percent run, 50 percent pass. It means keeping a defense off balance. It means doing enough things that nobody can key in on you. And I thought the way they ran it, you never knew exactly what they were going to do. And so I thought, I thought he was really good at that. But then again, they kind of stayed within, right? Sharon Moore was the guy who made that offensive line go last year as the offensive line coach. He's now the co-play caller with Matt Weiss, who's the quarterback's coach. So it's a lot of the same arguments at Clemson. Do you completely lose the culture, the vibe, the feel, the strategy with the person? Or do is there enough of the culture in place? The style is going to stay the same. You figure those guys were smart, but these guys are smart, too. And it'll be OK. I'm buying that argument with Clemson. And as much as I really respect what Mike McDonald and Josh Gaddis did last year, I think as good as Brent Venables is, I think Michigan had the best pair of coordinators in college football last year, right? As good as Dan Lanning is, as good as, you know, like just the the the, the impact they made. Um, but I don't, so it hurts, but I don't think it completely derails them. And I think more than anything, it's they had to figure out who they were. And I think they did. I think they really figured it out. And, the replacements are good enough and the talent's good enough and they'll continue to be not who they were last year, last year necessarily, but close enough for us to talk about them. The question, though, is that, like you said, they figured out who they were last year and now all those good players are gone. So, like, do you, do you just get to run back the same model when you lost three first round type talents to the NFL draft on defense? Right. Like, because I think from a coaching perspective, I have. I, I mean, again, like you said, they're running sort of a lot of the same stuff on defense. They they run a very system type approach. Obviously, like, uh, you know, the big thing with with the Harbaugh brothers is that they kind of run a lot of the same stuff. And so they've kind of just passed assistance back and forth for a long time. I, I think that they're probably going to be fine in terms of identity on that side, though. I think that Mike McDonald was a pretty clear upgrade on some of the guys who have come through before who have even run that same system. I think he's, he did a great job. Um I'm a lot less confident about them replacing Josh Gaddis. I, I really, the fact that they lost Josh Gaddis after winning the Broyles Award to another college football team who has had less success than them and has less money than them, by the way, as well, that's a concern to me because that also, it's not just about the actual coaching of it. It's telling me that Josh Gaddis during this period of great success also did not enjoy being there. And what does that say? I will say, I, I, I think maybe the, and this got, I asked Jim Harbaugh about this at Big Ten Media Days when he interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings 
and what effect that had on the program. I think maybe the biggest direct effect was, I think maybe that contributed to Josh Gaddis leaving. Cause I think for a moment, Josh Gaddis maybe thought he was going to be the Michigan head coach if Jim Harbaugh went to the NFL and then that didn't happen. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, like what more am I going to do here? What this guy's he's leaving. He's not leaving. What's going on. I don't a hundred percent know if it meant I don't like being at Michigan, so I, I think that my read on it a little bit was when it looked like Harbaugh might leave. I think that Gaddis fairly, by the way, assumed that he might be next in line and nobody treated him like that. Like nobody over at Michigan. Everybody was like, oh, well, Mike Hart can be the head coach, you know, like, oh, you know, Mike McDonald can be the head coach. And people didn't really take as seriously, I think, as he felt like he deserved that he could be the head coach. Now, the thing is, I mean, if he has another great year this year, if he's still at Michigan, like he's a he's a head coach, like he's a head coach. So so yes, I mean, I agree. I don't think that there's a lot more he could accomplish while he was at Michigan. But like, I mean, I, I think that he only needs one more. I mean, he probably could have gotten a head coaching job last year if he really wanted one. <clears throat> and so you know, to, to kind of say, well, you know, I don't feel valued here. I, I think that that's fundamentally the root of it you know to the the level that i feel like i should be and i mean he he obviously came from alabama before he's coached at really good programs uh i i don't know i mean it's gonna i think be really interesting to see what josh gaddis does this year at miami because i want to know you know how much of this is him how much of this is what he was asked to do from Jim Harbaugh, right? Like, are they going to be super dynamic in the past game at Miami, right? Which is something that we didn't see. Yeah. Uh, it was maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has a super dynamic quarterback. Right. So my answer would probably be right, yes. Right. And that helps a whole lot, of course. So I, I'm very curious to kind of see how he adjusts. I think we're going to learn a lot about Josh Gaddis this year, but regardless, I don't think that what Michigan has at offensive coordinator is just plug and play. I, I don't feel super confident that's the case. So, from a talent standpoint, they lost Ronnie Bell, who was their best receiver, right away last year. He was out the whole year. He, he's back. A lot of the other young receivers who had to play more are back. They lost to Son Haskins, who was their bruising running back, really kind of a core component of what they did. But Blake Corum was great last year, was actually like their number one back until he got hurt. He returns, and they have a five-star second-year guy named Donovan Edwards, who I think has a chance to be really, really dynamic. So they're still going to have a two-running back system where they're going to attack. And again, I mean – a lot of times when I'm doing shorthand for how good a team's going to be, I go offense, defensive line, and quarterback, and how much like experience and reliability is there. And, of course, on the defensive line for Michigan, you're losing a lot of things. They have both their quarterbacks back. Cade McNamara is a veteran who led this a year ago. He's kind of the Stetson Bennett of the North, right? People were constantly waiting for him to be benched. How good is he really? And he took his team to the playoff. So – and he's back. And so is J.J. McCarthy, who was a five-star true freshman last year, had a role. He wasn't around for spring ball. He's coming back from an injury, but he's there. Their quarterback play should be better. I think they might be more – they might be an offense-first team last year when last year uh, – this year, offense-first this year when last year they were clearly defense-first. But at times – and, you know, I have running game thoughts on Michigan, but if we don't put them in the contender, I'm not going to get to say them, so I'll say them here now. I thought at times last year they were almost perfection in running the ball. There was a, a big a big, a big, big hitter play that Quorum had right early in the second half against Ohio State that I think was as good of a running play as, like, I've ever seen. It's You can go through the play and, and point the guys and be – it's like, here are eight guys making their blocks – perfectly and there goes Blake Corn for 60 yards it was it's beautiful when it works and so 
I think, again, is that only Josh Gaddis? Certainly a big part of it, but I, a lot of the other he, – he revamped the assistant coaching staff last year. They were like six or seven new guys, and it paid huge dividends. Gaddis was not one of the new guys. But then most of those new guys who were awesome a year ago are still there, right? Mike McDonald's not, but the other guys are. So I thought I think last year was enough of a fundamental shift. They kept what they did best. They changed what wasn't working. And I think it's possible all that moves forward together. I also will say I picked Michigan to go nine and three this year. So, I, but that's me looking at their schedule. Oh, maybe a break goes against them. Uh, the East is in the Big Ten's pretty good. I don't, I don't think they're going to be bad. Do I, do I personally bet money that they are? 11 and 0 or 10 and 1 going into the Ohio State game and right in the thick, thick, thick of the playoff race like they were a year ago. No, I would not bet that. Do I think it's possible? Do I think there's enough here to warrant a discussion and leave that open, leave that door open and other people might think it? Yeah, no, I do. So as we're look, we're trying to get the 12 teams ideally by the start of the season to be in the mix. I'm not saying Michigan's one of the six best. But are they one of the 12 best with what they were and who they still are? I think yes. So, I mean, that, that that's the tough part of this, right? Because it's like, are there 12 contenders for the playoff this year? No, I- exactly. Legit, like worth, we don't want to waste our time here. We don't want to waste our time talking about teams that have zero chance, right? We don't want to do that. Because, for example, we voted no on Oklahoma. And I think that I probably feel about Oklahoma's chances about the same way that I feel about Michigan's, which is that they're probably a top 12 team, but I don't think that they're a real right now playoff contender. Now, the one thing that I'll say, I I think that Oklahoma, they get, uh, they get Nebraska early and I believe they get Kansas state early. So I think that they'll be able to play their way onto the list. The big issue with Michigan is that, Look at their schedule. I mean, it is very backloaded. And so when I mean, we're probably looking all the way up until October 15th against Penn State for them to be able to really play their way onto the list because it's it's Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland, at Iowa. Maybe if they have a great showing against Iowa, they could get on the list if they don't start there. But it's at Indiana and then Penn State. So that's like the one concern if you're Michigan is. If we don't put them on the list now, when do they get on the list? And and do we as we're waiting for them to prove it, do we want to be talking about them while we wait to see or not talking about them as we wait to see? I agree with you. We won't know for sure. But which way do we want to lean while we're waiting for a team that now? And the other thing is, I, I don't disagree with your Oklahoma, Michigan point. And but I also think it, in the end, it might be fair to say, well, Oklahoma has an entirely new coaching staff and a new head coach and a completely new identity. And Michigan doesn't. Michigan lost their two coordinators, but they have the same head coach, most of the other staffers, and their identity hasn't changed. Let's just quickly address this. Defensively, everything about what they did last year well is gone. Like Seven or eight starters gone. Yeah, the pass rush gone. Again, let's say that the offense is as good or better, which I don't think is assumed. I think, I think better. I think probably better, but go ahead. How much does this defense fall off? Because especially when you look at that Ohio State game, it was two guys giving Ohio State hell. And yes, those guys are gone. That was it. Yeah, it changed. It it changed the fabric of the game. So Jim Harbaugh said 
You know what? I've seen a I've seen teams where a no star defense is actually better than a defense with stars. And he said, I think our defense has a chance to be better this year because all those backups saw how all those guys put in the work and they've just been waiting their turn and they're hungry. And so maybe we don't have the standout guys, but I think, you know, we could have a cohesive defense. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not putting, I, I, <laughs> yeah, that, he's then we're not had doing a lot it. of no star defenses before uh, that did not make the college football playoff. Okay. That's one of those where it's like, all right, that's Shahan. That's a point for like, you know what? I actually think the less talent we have, the better we'll be. It's like, can we have a real conversation about how Aiden Hutchinson is one of the greatest players in Michigan, the modern Michigan football. So, but also, and I do think at a year ago at this time, nobody was talking about David Ajabo. And then David Ajabo had an unbelievable year. Dax Hill, everybody knew he was a five-star recruit. He's a safety who went in the first round. Everybody knew he was going to be good. Aiden Hutchinson was good, had established himself. He was a very good football player. I don't think a year ago, anybody thought he was going to be second in the Heisman race. So, and that's the thing. Are there enough guys not hiding, but waiting at Michigan to jump up? Because a year ago, it's not Will Anderson, right? They're not Bama, where there's a guaranteed, oh, Dallas Turner. No, he's that guy's a first team All-American. Wait till you see what he does this year. It's not going to be that. But there are enough guys who are going to make jumps, who are going to be first team All-Big Ten because they have depth of ta- uh, talent and they they legitimately have been around winning now and they know how to do it. Uh, <laughs> Good players are better than bad players. Like that's, I think that's a fair thing to say. Are there two or three sort of stars waiting in that Michigan defense that we can't pick out right now? I, I think, I think maybe. And there, there, listen, there's a couple. Junior Colson, there's a couple guys. Mozzie Smith, right? I think I said his first name right. There's some guys sitting on that defense that people are like, oh no, they're they're pretty good. But there's not an Aiden Hutchinson. There's not because the only Aiden Hutchinson in college football is Will Anderson. Right now, the only guy that you would know for sure who's going to be as good as Aiden Hutchinson was last year, getting after the quarterback and, and destroying offenses. There's only one guy that we know for sure. So how much do you hold that against a team like Michigan? Yeah. OK, what direction are you going here? I'm going to go. Yes, just because I, I just because of everything I've said, like I'm not a thousand percent, but I can see it. And I do think. As much as sometimes you don't want to hold on too much to the past in college football because the nature of the sport is everything changes, they're a playoff team last year. So it's like, hey, should a team that made it last year be in the discussion this year? I think it's it's something in their favor. So that kind of is enough to put me over the edge, even though they lost all their good players. No, not all. They lost. I'm not going to say that part out loud again. That's <laughs> the thing you would say. Hey. My point is, they made the playoff last year. Let's keep them in, Sean. So I'm a yes. I, I hope that you keep that same energy when we have our Cincinnati discussion. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, okay, so <sighs> I'll say yes. Oh, thank. But they're on probation. If they don't look, if they don't look awesome in their first couple games, then they're out. We do not have to wait for them to lose to kick them out. If they do not look like they are worth discussing, we will boot them after their six point win over Yukon or whatever it is. Right. Like that's, I am abs right. Like I am absolutely on board for that. If we're saying wins and losses, we may not know for sure until mid October. We don't want to be wasting time on here with a Michigan team. That looks like the fifth best team in the big 10 who can't get out of their own way and can't stop anybody. So 
I don't think that'll happen, but I will absolutely agree to that. All right, Michigan's in, which means we'll talk more about their run game later in the podcast as we rank the running backs for all the college football playoff contenders. Quick break, come back, NC State's on the clock next. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. George Kliakoff, he's a Pac-12 commissioner. His conference is exploding and he had to go face the music. Five seconds before his most valuable team left the conference, right before then, he was doing great. Right up until then. And then just one thing happens. Your two most valuable properties leave. And then all of a sudden, monkey wrench. What was the mood from George? He was defensive, I'd say. He was very much defending his league. He was very much lashing out at people. The first question I believe that he was asked was basically, you know, how do you make the case to the playoff that your remaining teams like deserve sort like that we should set it up so that they deserve a spot? And he's like, nobody's making the case that the other 10 teams don't deserve to make the playoff. I'm not even going to dignify that question. And that was like the first answer that he gave to a question. So like it kind of went downhill from there. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Doug Maurice Shahan J. Haraja. You can follow us on Twitter at CFB Survivor Show. When I actually run the podcast correctly, we put out votes there. Hey, do you think this team should be in? Do you think this team should not be in? Um, you know, we, we, we post, hey, the new pod is up, right? You can also make sure you get subscribed so you don't miss any of the shows, right? Get subscribed to the College Football Survivor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. NC State, Shahan, make the case. You make the yes case, I think, here, right? Unless you really don't want to make yeah. the yes case. No, 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 I got it. So, NC State, uh, if you ask their staff, uh, they, they won 10 games last year because they had their bowl game canceled and they felt like it should count for them. But that's beside the point. Uh, NC State has two of the things that you really like to see in a team that's getting ready to make a step forward. And that's a great quarterback. I think Devin Leary is one of the best quarterbacks that nobody really talks about. Um, you, know, you know, he's a very talented player, super efficient. I think he's an NFL guy down the road. And they also have a ton of returning production. Like they have a ton back on both sides of the ball. Uh, last year, again, they they beat Clemson in, in double overtime, I believe, for the first time in a little while. So they've shown that they can win at that kind of level before. They were right there uh, last year in the ACC Atlantic race. They closed the season pretty strong. Uh, you know, they lost tight to, uh, in a shootout against Wake Forest. But otherwise, they won four of their last five games. And, and so, you know, you look at what they did last season. I think that they clearly got better as the season went along. Uh, their losses down the stretch were by one point and three points. Uh, this is a team that I think is right on the cusp of being able to compete at that highest level. And in an ACC where I, I don't believe there's going to be a dominant team, I think that NC State has a chance to come up and, and step up and be sort of a dominant type team. So they have a lot of production back. Other than their leading receiver, their two leading rushers, and a top 10 NFL draft pick on the offensive line in Ikea Kwanu, who was like as good as anybody on the offensive line in college football last year. So other than that, right, Devin Leary is really good. Can they handle it? I do believe in the you're a good program that is ready to make the great leap. And everybody is telling you, you're going to be great this year. And you're like, oh, my gosh, well, we've never been great before. Right. The we 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 thrive on the nobody believes in us way of thinking. And now all of a sudden people believe in us. What do we do with that? I think that's real. 
And I don't know if like, I think that they're maybe a little bit like Iowa State a year ago, that it felt like a mid-tier team that was good with a good coach that people respected. Matt Campbell a year ago, Dave Doran this year. Hey, man, that guy at that place, he has established a new standard there. That They should not be this good consistently. Iowa State and NC State have no right to be winning eight games every year. That's crazy. What a job by those guys. Hey, you think they can make the playoff? And it's like, what? So I picked Iowa State on this show to make the playoff last year, and they imploded immediately. Like, they weren't, they didn't go three and nine, but they weren't anywhere close to being able to handle what some people, including me, were putting on them. Is NC State in that spot? Maybe. Am I going to pick NC State to make the playoff? I don't know. Um, I don't, like, well, how much juice do you think they have right now? Or do you feel like they are sort of a dark horse pick for the playoff that people are making? And do you subscribe to the theory at all of that can work against a program that's never really been on that level before? It's a good question. It's a good question. I think that when I look at this roster, so so to go back to the Iowa State comparison a little bit, I think that this is a substantially more talented team than Iowa State. You know, you look at the 247 talent composite, uh, Iowa State last year was 57 and NC State is 35. And that, I mean, that's not like elite, but that's ahead of Michigan State. It's ahead of Baylor. It's ahead of Virginia Tech. It's ahead of Iowa, right? Like this is like legitimate type talent. I think that you need to get, if you're going to have sort of your culmination year, I think you need to get into the 30s type range. So I, I feel relatively comfortable in terms of playing spoiler that uh, that NC State has enough talent to do that. Whereas like Iowa State was always a, wow, this is like crazy that these players are doing what they're doing. I don't think it has to be the same way at NC State. Uh, I also think that the other part for them is that they have a great quarterback. I, I mean, Brock Purdy was a good player. He obviously, I think, leaves as as the you don't you don't have to you don't have to be nice to Brock Purdy. <laughs> he was not good last year, it's right? Okay. Right, and and I think that Devin Leary is a much more proven player. So even though they have some turnover at receiver and at running back, I'm still pretty confident that uh, that with their quarterback talent and with the way that they've recruited the position, I still feel pretty good about what they have there. I don't think it's just going to be like uh you, you know like like if Maryland lost their top two receivers, right? Like they have two. NFL guys, right? Like, I don't think that NC State was really working with those kind of guys, right? Like, they were working with guys who did their jobs at a very high level with a quarterback who delivered the ball to them. So, I, I understand totally. Uh, you know, NC State's also done a great job of developing uh, in both trenches historically. I, I think that they'll have some guys, uh, even though they lost Ika McQuanu, uh on the offensive line. You know, the, a couple years ago, they they lost other, you know, key linemen and they continue to replace them. So, I think that. You have to feel pretty good about it now. Now, when you bring up, like you said, the uh, the whole talk about having expectations, having the eyes of the nation, NC State is like there's a lot of cursed programs in college football, but like NC State is up there in terms of athletic departments of like the most cursed. This is a this is a program that's been really, 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 really close a lot of times and never put it together. So they won 11 games in 2002. And that is the only time in program history that they've won 10 games. The only time. 
And Dave Doran's done a great job for years and years and years and keeps winning nine games year after year after year. That's why uh, having the bowl game canceled this past year was like the worst thing ever for them because they finally had a chance to go and win 10 games. And unfortunately, they couldn't do it. So this is a snake bitten program. This is this is a program that hasn't dealt with success as well as they could have at times. But, you know, I mean, I think that this is also probably the most talented and most experienced team that they have had in a very long time. So I think that this is kind of, I I don't think that they've had expectations like this in a very long time. Iowa State, that's like a bad comparison, Frenzy State. They don't want to be that. Maybe 2015 Michigan State is a good comparison for them because Mark D'Antonio built something real at Michigan State and then they peaked and they knocked off the big dog in their conference and they had you know a great secondary and things they did really well. They made the playoff. Dave Doran had a reset. He's entering year 10 at NC State. Reset year and year one. Since then, wins by year. 877-99489. That is remarkably good. And not just skating by and and trying to get to six and six and get to a bowl game. They've they've won at nine games three of the last five years. I don't even know how many other teams in the country would say that. So the idea that they are they have built a true, true, true foundation. We are good. And now everything's coming together. And at the peak of it is there's two things at the peak of it, right? A real quarterback. A dude that you believe in that has experience and talent. And yes, he's better better than Brock Purdy was a year ago. Experience and talent, right? Real stuff. And then defensively, eight defensive starters back. They have uh, Brock Thomas back at linebacker, who was one of the best linebackers in the ACC last year. And then Peyton Wilson, who was one of the best linebackers in the ACC in 2019 and 2020 and was out last year with an injury. Now he's back. So they have eight starters back. Plus they're getting guys back who were out with an injury last year. They have a chance to have a great defense and a great quarterback and a head coach who has established a winning identity and standard for a decade at a program that has never really been like this. That's a lot. That is that that is not smoke and mirrors. Can they be Clemson? I don't know. They did it last year. Again, I, I, I Michigan, I was all about, hey, proof, evidence. We did it. No more mental block. NC State may have may have broken through that against Clemson a year ago. So they have talent. They have culture. They have coaching. They have this mentality of proof that they did it. So, you know, I was making the case against no. I'm I'm a very solid yes here, though. I think they absolutely deserve to be talked about. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that just enough of these factors kind of come together for them, right? It's like it it feels like this should be the best team in school history with what they've got going on. I love the fact that they've had so much consistency in the coaching staff. Uh, you know, Dave Doran's been there for a while. Tim Beck's been there for a while. Tony Gibson's been there for a while. Um, they have, I think, a nice early test against Texas Tech that, like, again, will just be a little bit of a, a of a temperature type game. And then, you know, on October 1st, they play on the road against Clemson. And that's when we're going to figure out whether this is a playoff type team or whether this is just a really nice story. So uh, 
again, I, I think that they have some early tests that'll be helpful. The, you know, the the other things on their schedule that that really stand out to me, they play Wake Forest on November 5th. That's again, they lost last year, 45 to 42. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, you know, I, I think playing on the road against Louisville on November 19th, like that month of November, I think is going to be really interesting for them. They go versus Wake versus BC at Louisville at UNC. Like that's going to, I think, kind of also determine after that Clemson game, whether uh, NC State can kind of break into that conversation. But I think the fact that they get Clemson so early as well, when Clemson has so much turnover in the coaching staff, that's probably when you want to get them. That's kind of how it worked out last year, where uh, where NC State was kind of able to get them before they really figured anything out. And uh, And for Clemson, you know, they play at Wake the week before NC State. So they will have been tested a little bit, but NC State's a physical test, I think, unlike anything they've played early in their schedule. So I think that there's a lot of reasons to to circle that game on the calendar. And and I think that whoever comes out of that game will kind of emerge as the contender from the ACC to make the college football playoff. At the moment, we certainly think NC State has a better quarterback than Clemson. Yeah. Oh, right. Not I mean, even nobody, close. Nobody would not dispute that. Would dispute that. And again, we don't know how the Clemson quarterback situation is going to shake itself out. And that game's at Clemson, right? The NC State Clemson game is at Clemson. Yes, is that correct? That's correct. I mean, that could be a pick 'em. Like, depending how NC State looks and depending how Clemson looks going into that game. And again, I'm on record. I think Clemson's going to be good this year. The, the, the NC State, people might go into that game and be like, no, I think NC State's going to win. They've looked like the better team. So we're both yeses on NC State, which means we're going to put them in to our discussion. And our group has now grown to eight. We started as the sure things, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. And we since then have added Baylor, Texas A&M, Michigan, and NC State. We have not yet talked about adding Pac-12 teams. So we've not really delving in on them yet. We're going to talk about them next week. We will talk about adding Pac-12 teams in a week. And we have not yet added Notre Dame or BYU or any independents. They are out there. We will get to them and talk about, hey, should they be in here? And then I think... We'll have a one more week left where you and I can each nominate one more team that we haven't talked about from wherever that we maybe think has been overlooked. And, hey, I'm thinking we should maybe maybe it's Wisconsin. Maybe it's, um, you know, Oregon or maybe I don't know. We'll have to see how like so we'll we'll have that discussion later. But if you're a Pac-12 fan saying like, what? what? we'll get to it. we promise we're going to get to them. But right now what we're going to get to is ranking. These eight contenders that we have established by their running backs, and it's mostly running backs. We might lean a little bit into like running game, but this is not really about your interior offensive line and your play calling and that kind of thing. It's mostly about the guys who are going to be handed the ball. And congratulations to NC State on making the list. And I have them eight. <laughs> I also have them eight. <laughs> is, OK, the, the, so when you think about this group, I think there are. Five quite established run games among the eight playoff contenders and another one that maybe isn't very veteran, but you have a lot of reasons to believe in. So I think there are potentially six quite good running games of the eight playoff contenders we're talking about. And then two where the guys who are going to run the ball have like never done it before. And NC State is last on that list. It's Jordan Houston. They lost their top two running backs from a year ago. He had 20 carries for 83 yards last year, and he's going to be the number one running back for NC State. He has 163 carries for 752 yards in his career. It's not his fault, 
But of all the things that NC State has back, this they happen to enter our discussion right at the point where we're talking about the one thing that they don't have back at all. <laughs> right. And no, and and I think that's going to be a huge question mark for them heading into the year. But, you know, if you're going to have one question mark heading into a year, I think that like running backs. OK, that, that's not like the biggest deal in the world to have to break in some new running backs. And like you said, some of those guys have played a little bit before. It's not like these are guys who have never played college football before but it's going to be different um you know I, I don't think they have quite the track record of developing and no I mean because the guys that they lost I mean Zonovan Knight was a great player for them uh ended up getting taken in the NFL draft I believe Ricky Person on an NFL uh training camp right now like these were these were really good players for them so they're, they're going to kind of have to go in and replace some of these guys it's interesting because I do think we all the way football has evolved it's a it's a passing game it's a passing era but there are a lot of contenders that we're talking about here that really do want to run it, that they are they they that's an important part of how they win. And so NC State, again, you have a great quarterback. And by the way, NC State, congratulations for making the discussion. We haven't done quarterbacks yet. We save quarterbacks and coaches for late once we have kind of almost everybody in. So we will have a quarterback discussion and then we will find out where we really think Devin Leary ranks on a list with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and everybody else is going to be in the mix then. So sorry, you're eighth NC State for now, but it'll get better. I have Baylor seventh and I have Baylor as the other team that they just that Abram Smith ran for 1600 yards last year and he's gone. And plus the other, his backup is gone and they just don't have anybody who's done it before. Right. 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 Now they, they are going to have a whole new group of faces. Now they like the faces who are there. And the other thing that you mentioned, again, we're not going to talk too deeply about, uh, about running games. They have a very run friendly system because uh, they're going to have a great offensive line and they play a wide zone system. So uh, people over there aren't worried about it, but it is. I mean, it's a new group. They have a player named Squirrel Williams, who I think is going to get a lot of carries for them, who spells his name S-Q-W-I-R-L. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, Tay McWilliams is another guy who I think is going to get a lot of carries for them. Um, so they, they have like, a, I think, a diversity in terms of, uh, of types of runners as well. Jordan Jenkins is somebody who I think is going to fit really well in the wide zone scheme. But these are all guys who haven't really played before. Josh Fleeks has played at receiver uh, and he's going to get some touches out of the backfield. I think he's going to be a little bit more of a versatile type, uh, you know, maybe receiver out of the backfield as well. But I mean, these are all guys who haven't played a lot of snaps before. These are guys who have not contributed like that on a major team. And it's because obviously I think Abram Smith was so good last year that why give the ball to anybody else? But, uh, but definitely I think that they deserve to be number seven on this list. And again, this this is not what Baylor is where that why they're going to win right they they switch quarterbacks people believe in Blake Shapin that's exciting for them Dave Aranda is a defensive coach and they play great defense there can we do thirty seconds on Austin Novosad though that Baylor had this quarterback commit that had been committed to Baylor and then everybody came after him um, Texas A and M came after him Ohio State was looking for a twenty twenty three quarterback and he was their once some other things happened, he was the number one guy they zeroed in on. Notre Dame was all over this guy, and he reaffirmed his commitment to Baylor this week. That kind of seemed like kind of a big deal for them, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, he was also a double Texas A&M legacy too. So, like, it was a it was a 
touch and go in that last little bit. But, you know, Baylor got on him real early. They offered him as a sophomore at camp. Um, you know, he was somebody who really blew up after that. And uh, it, it had really blew up uh, since June 1st. I believe it was Ohio State offered him on June 1st. And then everybody was like, wait, we haven't seen this kid's film before. This, this kid's really good. And so he jumped from being in the 500s in the 247 rankings to now he's at 98 in the top 247, I believe. So, you know, great player for them. I think, you know, when you're talking about top 100 quarterbacks, right, like these are battles especially when you're going against these top schools uh and and i think for them to to win a battle like that uh I, i'm sure obviously you know you you have to to wonder what exactly he was looking for but you know i think i think the big thing right was that for ohio state they have uh they have dylan rayola coming in in 2024 who's the number one yeah you, you know i think that for Baylor, he was always a priority. That That's, I think, the biggest thing. Texas A&M, it was like, oh, well, you know, you can play behind Connor Wegman, you know, and and I think that for him, he felt like he could be this sort of game-changing player at Baylor. So huge for them. I mean, I think that it sends a message just from a recruiting perspective that even though Baylor's going to, you know, be in a one of these non-Power power Two conferences, that, uh, that people still find a lot of value there. So, you know, we'll see whether it ends up sort of carrying itself through, but it does mean that Baylor's probably going to have one of its better recruiting classes in 10 years or so. It's always one of those things that he clearly, Ohio State was trying to view 2023. Once they got Dylan Rayola, they had Devin Brown in the class of 2022 as a big time guy. It was sort of, they were looking more for like a developmental quarterback in 2023. And it's always interesting to me when you are a, like a great program in that thing. They're a great offensive passing program. That's what Ohio State does best right now. Do you want to go be like a developmental guy for them? Or do you want to go to a very good school? Baylor doesn't, it's not an offense like Ohio State. It's not a development to the NFL path like Ohio State, but you're their number one guy. That's such an interesting, like, so if he was Ohio State's priority from day one, Ohio State probably wins. It's not, but it was a big thing for Baylor that Ohio State can't come in late, be like, well, you know, we got Dylan Royola, but we want you too. Baylor was like, but we've loved you from the start. And then he was like, yes, that's what matters. That's why it's big for Baylor. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that it it's a testament to the case that they were able to make. Like, again, you mentioned Notre Dame and Ohio State were the first two to come hard at him, uh, you know, and Ohio State has the number one quarterback in, in 2024 and Notre Dame has number four in CJ Carr, right? So I think that I think that those guys were very much filling spots from his perspective. At, whereas like, again, you get to be a signature recruit in this class, uh, a signature part of this program. You're probably going to start for two or three years. Uh, and, and, you know, Texas A&M, I think, really treated him like an afterthought once they missed on some guys, right? And and I think that they felt like because he's a double A&M legacy right in their backyard that they'd be able to kind of swoop in, like you said. And, you know, I mean, look, when, when you are a program like Baylor, being able to survive people swooping in at the last second that's a big deal for top hundred type guys and i mean so so i think that that's a credit to the staff and i think it's also a credit to uh to how much people are believing that this staff has things heading in the right direction survive the swoop survive the swoop that's how you build all right we'll come back we'll talk about the top six running backs among the playoff contenders next on the college football survivor show the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan, I have Georgia sixth. I really like Kendall Milton as a junior. I remember Kendall Milton from the recruiting process. I really like him. Uh, Kenny McIntosh is a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. They have guys who are ready, right? I think it's always important. Guys who are sort of on track in their college football career. They haven't done anything wrong. They haven't 
failed in any way. It's just they kind of were waiting their turn because they had Zamir White and James Cook at Georgia last year, and they were really good. And Georgia always has a really good run game. So I don't think there's any reason to doubt that Georgia will have a good run game. They just lost their big two guys where most of the other teams that I have ahead of them have their best guys back. So Georgia, by the end of the year, might be like, what? You had Kendall Milton where? Kendall Milton is awesome. It was He's a West Coast kid that you know, in an era where the Pac-12 can't keep anybody home, he could have gone anywhere. Ohio State wanted him, Bama wanted him, everybody wanted him, he picked Georgia. So I think Kendall Milton's going to be good, but I still have him sixth here. Yeah, I mean, they're unproven, right? All these other teams in front of them have proven commodities. And really, when you when you talk about uh, running back friendly run games, I mean, Georgia just mashes people inside. They're, you're going to be able to run over anybody. So even if they weren't super duper talented at running back, which they are, to be clear, I, I still feel like they're going to be just fine at running back. Do you have them sixth, though? I do. Okay. Who do you have fifth? I have Clemson fifth. As do I. They had some young players really show out. Will Shipley, you know, I think by the end of the year, looks like a really talented player. The, the issue for Clemson and all their running backs was that all these guys were asked to replace one of the best running backs of all time in Travis Etienne. But by the end of the year, I, I think that you started to see it with Will Shipley. I think you started to see it by the end with Kobe Pace. Uh, I, I think that when you look at the way that Clemson ended the year, a huge part of their success down the stretch, because they, they finished real strong down the stretch after losing a couple games early. Uh, I, I think a lot of that credit goes to the running backs and how they stepped up. You know, in the last uh, the last two games of the regular season, Kobe Pace runs for 191 against Wake Forest in a win. Uh, you, you know, Shipley runs for 128 against South Carolina in a 30-0 win. Like, I, I think that once these guys started to get a little bit more comfortable, it, it came forward. And the other thing that you have to like, too, obviously this is about running game primarily, but Will Shipley has really showed some stuff as a receiver, too. And so... I think that he's probably going to continue to grow. You don't want to make the comparison to Travis Etienne because nobody's Travis Etienne, but like, I think that they're going to continue to find creative ways to use him as well. And, uh, you know, 16 catches last year, I think that that number is going to go up probably uh, in 2022. So a lot of talent in that room. I think that they've showed just a little bit more than George's guys, but uh, I don't have them up with that top four quite as yet. Will Shipley, last year, 165 touches, rushes and receptions combined, 855 yards, 5.2 yards per touch, 12 touchdowns. There's a lot of guys that we're going to talk about that are pretty good pass catchers out of the backfield. So I did like the best guy at all these top teams um, in their total touches a year ago. He broke his leg last year and people thought, oh, like he might be lost for the year. And then he was only out for a month and he came back. We we I remember a year ago we were talking about Ohio State, Alabama and Clemson in this discussion, ranking running backs. And we thought all of them had veteran backs where we thought the young backups at the moment were probably better than the veteran guys. And at Ohio State, that was definitely true. We were talking about Master Teague and then Trevon Henderson was definitely better and took the job at Clemson. Um God, what's the guy's name? Lynn Saint. Uh, Lynn J. Dixon. Lynn J. Dixon. There's not a saint in there. Sorry. Who actually just today announced that he's transferring to Tennessee. So Lynn J. Dixon lost that job and transferred because Kobe Pace and Will Shipley were coming. And then at Alabama, we we're like, I don't know about Brian Robinson. They have a lot of young backs behind him. And then Brian Robinson was like, I'm going to run over nine Cincinnati defenders in the playoff by myself. Why do you doubt me? But only one of those three did the veterans hold on because the young guys were coming. 
I like Will Shipley a lot. I like Kobe Pace a lot. And if you there, go watch, there's Phil Maffa is a second year guy who they wanted to redshirt last year. And then they had to play him because Will Shipley broke his leg. He's 6'1", 225. And there's one highlight out there where he drops a spin move on a guy at 6'1", 225 and breaks in the open field. And then there's another one. He's one of these guys where he's got the power to get through the first level. And then if he gets to the second level, it can accelerate. It's like, watch out. And he's their third guy. (laughs) But both Shipley and Pace were out in the spring. So he got a lot of run in the spring. I think this is worth watching how this shakes out in August because this might, and I know CJ Spiller, isn't it cool? I mean, I love it. CJ Spiller, who was a great Clemson running back as a Clemson running back coach. CJ Spiller's talking three-headed monster. Two-headed monsters, I believe in, like it's hard to get three guys touches. Like it just doesn't seem real. But Phil Moff is in there. If we're, and if we're going by rank these running back rooms by how good their third best running back is, Clemson's probably number one. Although Bama might have something to say about that. But anyway. <laughs> Alabama's pretty good at football, man. They have options. They have real, real, real options. I think they deserve to be fifth now, but there is a lot of talent underneath there that they had a rough stretch early. As much as DJ wasn't good last year at quarterback, their run game got off to a really bad start last year and found itself in November. But if they can run it, they they couldn't run it at all against Georgia in the opener. If they can run it, that's going to make life easier for the quarterbacks. And I don't know that there's any reason they won't be able to run it if these guys stay healthy because it's all the same guys. They're all a year older and they're all good. This is where it gets a little tighter. I also have my guy that I. So I, I think that this one's easy. Throws off my rankings. You think this is easy. You tell us our number four then if it's easy. I, I think that it's I think that it's by a substantial margin. I think Texas A&M is four. I can't. But what about A-Chain? Are you forgetting him? All right, name a second person in that room who's done anything. That more of him, more him is the so second person. That, that's the thing that makes this complicated. If we're just ranking individual running backs, well, I mean, honestly, the guys ahead of him also still might be uh, might be up there. But um, you know, 130 carries, 910 yards last year. Him and Spiller were just an insane duo, right? Like Isaiah Spiller is one of my favorite players to watch in college football over the last couple of years, and they combined for basically 2,000 yards rushing and uh, and 15 touchdowns. So now Achen is going to become the primary in that room. Uh, I think that they have a lot of talent, a lot of talent behind him, but it's all unproven. Amari Daniels is, is somebody who I think really stepped up in the spring. LJ Johnson missed the spring with an injury, but he's supposed to be like their next great running back after Achen's done. But it's just, it's so unproven behind Achen that I think that when you compare them to the top three, I can't quite get there relative to the other guys. So I do think it's more than just the guy, but the thing that I'm, the thing that I try to think about is like the person who's going to have the ball in their hands, running the ball in the game. So if you want to run it 35 times, no individual running back is going to run it 35 times, right? That's why the second and third guys come into it. And listen, injuries hurt everybody. I guess who's your backup if the top guy gets injured matters some, but and is it A-Chain or A-Chain? I like saying A-Chain, like he's the A-Chain. I, I think it's A-Chain. I'm just calling him Chain. He's so, I love him. I can't help it. He The Chain, he might be my favorite college football player. He's a track guy. And I am looking forward as much as 
the chain and Spiller were a great duo last year. I want him to be the guy. I want to see what this looks like a year ago, 154 total touches, 1171 yards, 7.6 yards per touch of any guys that we're talking about. Jameer Gibbs at Alabama, Trivion Henderson at Ohio state, Blake Corm at Michigan, 7.6 yards per touch is the best of anybody on this list. So I had them second because I love, I love him so much. I can't, I can't, but so, but because here's the thing is, is he not maybe the second best individual running back? Like, are we sure Jameer Gibbs at Alabama is better than, than the chain? Are we sure that Blake Corum is better than the chain? If we're talking about the first guy and if I'm going to, it's not a, if we're thinking about the group, it's still like, well, the number one guy is like 75% of what I'm thinking about. And I think he's special, special, special. Here's my question, though. We've seen him, obviously, just tremendous, tremendous player. We, we've we've seen him because he's a smaller guy. Kick return against Alabama. Kick return against Alabama that saved that game last year. He's, he's great. No, no. I No questions about him whatsoever. <clears throat> but he's a little bit of a smaller guy. 5'9", 185. And so, so my question is, okay, if you, if you hand the ball off 35 times a game, are you giving him 25, right? Like, I, I just don't know. Like, we've seen him play off of a physical running back in the past. I'm curious when he's like the primary, does it work exactly the same way? Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but I, I have a few more questions about what he looks like as a primary if they can't find that sort of bruiser to go alongside him. Now, I think that they will. I, I think that they probably will. But if I'm looking at the rest of these rooms, like for me, like you said, I it's not the most important thing to me to have an exciting third running back. But like, I think I need to feel pretty good about your second guy because you need to run at least two relatively consistently unless you have somebody who's big and physical and can take that kind of punishment. 20 carries, five receptions a game. That's my target for the chain. My only question about him is, why do I love him so much? Because you saw him run in some of those clips and were like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love, I love, oh, my God, running back clips. Like Saquon Barkley had, oh, my God, running back. I just love him. I love him. You should watch more Deuce Vaughn, man. You should watch more Deuce Vaughn. I know. I watch Deuce. Well, Kansas State, I I only care about playoff teams. Uh, Texas A&M, you have them fourth. I have them second. Who do you have third? This is where it got hard for me. So I have Michigan third. I had Michigan fourth, so I agree with this. But I think Michigan's really good. I, I think that they have a lot of the, uh, reasons for optimism. Remind me again the uh, the young kid. What, what's his name again? Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards, who threw threw a touchdown pass in the Big Ten championship game. But I think I was waiting. I, I viewed he and Edwards and JJ McCarthy, the quarterback, a lot the same last year. There's two. Edwards is like a borderline five star. Um, two true freshmen who I I kept waiting for their roles to expand over the course of the year, and they kind of really didn't. It was just they let the veterans do it. But. I, and I don't know what J.J. McCarthy is going to do in year two. I think Edwards is going to pop in year two behind Blake Corp. Yeah, and, and I think that he fills that Hassan Haskins role so well of just that bruising running back. I mean, he is fun to watch as well. I, so I think that uh, I think that they have sort of that perfect smash and dash. And I, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a really good fit. Blake Corum, number one guy hurt in the middle of last year, came back. 168 touches, 1,093 yards, 6.5 yards per touch, 12 touchdowns. Really, really good. Like a just like a really good college running back. You'll find some people who have him listed among the top five running backs in college football. I actually like might be a little 
not quite as high on him as I am to someone. I don't know who I would, who would I say that? Like, I don't know the chain, someone that I like. So I, I just, he's really good. It, do, do I think he's super special dynamic? Maybe not, but this is one of those again, where I do have Texas A&M ahead of Michigan, but that Michigan combo Edwards and, and Quorum have a chance to be excellent. We have them. You have them third. I have them fourth. I think they could make a case for first. I think they really could. I think, I think one, I think the top five here, because I still throw Clemson in there because I think with Phil Moffat added to Pace and Shipley, like someone's going to be excellent and no one's going to be tired. I think all five of them, I think I could move them in almost any order. So this is zero lack of respect for a Michigan run game for me to have them fourth. And I think if we were just doing again, I just leaned a little bit more on the top guy. They might, they might have the best duo. They really might have the best duo. So all respect to the Michigan running. And by the way, they're going to carry the load again. Now listen, again, I think the Michigan pass game will be better than a year ago and more important, but this is still going to be a run first team, right? So they're going to get a lot of chances to show how good they are. Who do you have second? I have Alabama second. So they bring in Jameer Gibbs, who I think was a tremendous player at Georgia Tech playing in a horrible offense and still found ways to to make things happen. I also love Jace McClellan, who's back after uh, missing some of the year with an injury. And I mean, the fact that they still have Trey Sanders on this roster and add Jamarian Miller, another Texas kid, by the way, along with Jace McClellan uh, from, from Tyler Legacy out in East Texas. Like, they just have so many – it's not fair. I, I don't understand. Like, if you're an Alabama fan, and I know that Ohio State's the same way, but, like, how do you, like, actually follow recruiting? Like, isn't it just boring? It's like, yeah, you got all the good players. It's like, what's the point? I, I saw somebody write a I, – I saw uh, that apparently in 2023, Alabama just got the number one running back, and it's like, yeah. They got, like, the number one – they got Richard Young and Justice Haynes. Like, who are the two of the top five backs in that class? Yeah, it's like, okay. In fact, 247 has them two of the top three. So, like, it's just like, isn't that boring at a certain point? Aren't you tired of this at a certain point of just getting all the best players and winning all the games? But uh, – And and then – and then if those five-star running backs don't quite develop at the rate you want them, you just go take – one of the 10 most established running backs in the, in the, the, in college football out of the transfer portal. That's the thing about this that they have, right? McClellan and Sanders, you love them. And they just dropped Jameer Gibbs on top of them. That is the thing. This transfer portal era, it's great, but it just, the best teams will never have holes. And it's sometimes it's interesting when the best teams are really good at a lot of places, but at one position, they just had a recruiting miss or a, a guy got hurt or left the team or a lack of development. And it's like, can they overcome that? But Alabama had that at receiver and they got Jamison Williams. And now Alabama had it at running back after Brian Robinson left and they just got Jameer Gibbs and Saban in the spring. Saban loved him. He couldn't believe how good Jameer Gibbs was. Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech last year, 179 touches, 1,216 yards, 6.8 yards per touch, six touchdowns. The reason, part of the reason, and I don't know, I mean, it's one of these things. What do you do with a guy who didn't play it as a as good of a program? I guess we assume he's going to be surrounded by 10 times more talent, so he's going to be 10 times better. But also, you know, he he wasn't doing it at this level. You know, Blake Corum was a playoff running back last year. A-Chain beat Bama last year, right? Travion Henderson for Ohio State as a true freshman was doing it at that level last year. Gibbs was not, Gibbs was at Georgia Tech. So I, mean, I get I mean, the assumption, yeah, I, I, but 
I don't know. I, I mean, at the same time, right? Like, we don't we don't have to act like he's coming up from the Mac, right? Like, we I, I know that like he played against Notre Dame last year, played really well. He played against Pitt, who won the ACC last year. He played against Clemson, North Carolina, like uh, Miami. He had a great game. Like he's played against good competition before. This this is not just him, you know, playing against Conference USA, right? Like. He he is proven. He's played against uh, high level competition. They played against Georgia, although he only lasted two carries, and I believe he got hurt. But uh, you know, so he has played high level competition before and had success against high level competition. And by the way, you know what's going to really help with some of that? Uh, Alabama linemen blocking for him <laughs> instead of Georgia Tech linemen, because Georgia Tech linemen are garbage. Y- you need any more proof that Georgia Tech linemen are garbage? Uh, he had 465 receiving yards because they were like, "Damn, we can't run you between the tackles. This isn't worth it. This is this isn't good for anybody." And uh, so, no, he's he's going to be a really big player for them. And again, let's pretend that he's not there. I think that Alabama still has a case to be top three, even without Jameer Gibbs there. Which all of this then is actually sort of the case for Bama to be number one on this list because they have a bunch of younger, huge recruits who are probably ready, but they just happen to drop Jameer Gibbs on top of them. So you're talking, again, depth of room, but yet we both have Ohio State first. And I did not think that was a slam dunk for me. Trevion Henderson, lead back as a true freshman last year, did not play his last year of high school football because of the pandemic, came to Ohio State, was the starter by week three, and wound up with 210 touches, which is more touches than any individual guy on this list. Blake Corum was hurt for part of last year and shared it with Haskins. So Henderson had more than him. He had more than the chain. He had more than Gibbs. He had more than Shipley. 210 touches as a true freshman, 1,560 yards, 7.4 yards per touch, 19 touchdowns as a true freshman, as a five-star freshman who had not played football in more than a year. But it wasn't a slam dunk for me. PFF loves his backup, Mayan Williams. I think he's more of a small sample size guy. I don't know that if they really needed him for some reason to carry the load that I would feel great about that. It's kind of a bowling ball. He's been good in spurts. They have another top 100 recruit, Evan Pryor, who's the same class as Trevion Henderson in year two now. He might have a role. He might challenge Mayan Williams for that second back spot. But I would take the backups at Bama ahead of them. And I would take Donovan Edwards ahead of either of those guys. And so if we're talking about depth of room, that's where I'm not 100% sure Ohio State is first here, but Travion Henderson was pretty darn good last year. He battled some stuff. I think he battled some um, young, not toughness stuff, but just putting your head down and getting his coach said that putting your head down and getting a yard and a half on third and one was not exactly his bread and butter a year ago. And Ohio state knows it needs to run the ball better. And that's part of why it's a little weird for me to put Ohio state first on this list. They're clearly a passing team that everybody kind of acknowledges didn't run the ball like they needed to in the key moments last year. It wasn't a problem across the board, but it was a problem in the second half at Michigan. And so now we're saying they have the best running backs in the group. There's a part of me that doesn't exactly feel right, but then you really drill down on Travion Henderson and he's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, we talked about Michigan having great running backs last year. And weirdly, once they played Georgia, uh, they didn't have great running backs anymore. Like that just happens when you play great defenses. Um, you know, I, I think that Travion Henderson is 
just that much better than everybody else, right? Like, I who's who's next on this list, right? Like after, I mean, like, what, like, what do you mean? Who's next on the list? Who's the? What, how could you even ask that question? Like, if you say it's Achain, if you say it's Gibbs, if you say it's Corum, like these guys are nowhere near the caliber of Travion Henderson, and um, you know, to have a top guy like that is just a luxury that none of these teams have right this second. Uh, I, I think that they have enough guys there. Like you mentioned at backup. I, I think mine was, like you said, he, he's not going to carry the load, but like he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to carry the load. It, if he's kind of the reserve back, then then I think that's fine. I feel fine about their two man rotation. I feel fine about who they have behind him. Um, again, we're, if we're talking about the, the room with the most depth, I think Alabama is, is the cream of the crop. But if we're talking about, uh, I, I think the room that's going to play per se, which I, I think that you really look at those top two guys. I, I think Ohio State is a pretty easy number one for me. He was adjusting to college life. He had a little bit of a nagging injury. I think he got a little tired at the end of the year as a, again, true freshman who had not played a senior year of high school football, who was being absolutely relied upon. Yeah, more than 200 touches as a true freshman. They, they they had some misses in previous running back recruiting classes, which forced them to say, we have to play this five-star true freshman right now. And there's a chance that a full offseason, a year in the system, fully healthy, he's unbelievable. Like that is absolutely out there that as good as he was last year. And he had 1,560 yards from scrimmage, 7.4 yards per touch. He caught a screen against Minnesota in the opener last year for Ohio State on a Thursday night that looked like he was shot out of a can. I was like, oh, that's how this is going to be. So, and I've, we've, you know, he was, he did not play that much in week two against Oregon because they were still kind of messing around with Mayan Williams and Master Teague ahead of him. I think if they had just gone to him in week two, they might have beaten Oregon because he changed the offense once he became the guy. So, um, I don't really have doubts about him, but, and we've talked about this a lot at Ohio State, J.K. Dobbins was awesome as a true freshman and just had a goofy sophomore year where he got in his own head a little bit and then was awesome as a junior. I don't think that's going to happen with Trevion Henderson, but it's it's sort of, I think, in the back of Ohio State fans' minds that it just happened with the guy right before him that was most like Trevion Henderson. But yeah, he I think he's the best running back that we're talking about here. And it's not unreasonable for that to carry the day. So we both have Ohio State one. You have Bama two, I have Bama three. You have Michigan three, I have Michigan four. I have Texas A&M two, you have Texas A&M four. So we have the same top four. I just let my love for the chain drag up the Aggies a little bit. Clemson five, Georgia six, Baylor seven, NC State eight. It's interesting. Again, these how these teams run the ball is going to help determine who wins the national championship here. I, th- I think. Now, the one thing is, Alabama was really unbalanced last year. They threw for two thousand and eight hundred more yards than they ran for, and that was Brian Robinson was good and reliable and bruising. He wasn't super dynamic, so it is interesting. Bama Saban has liked to run the ball. It's part of why Bryce, Bryce Young won the Heisman because he really was he not that he had to do it by himself, but he was the most dynamic person with the ball in his hands. I mean, Jameson Williams too, but right. It's I, I, there's a chance that this Bama run game, Shahan takes maybe like a significant step forward with this group of guys that they have now. Cause I do think that's more of what Saban kind of fundamentally wants to do. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that McClellan's going to be just a super dynamic player for them. I think that that's going to add a new dimension when he's able to come in. So so bringing in somebody who's physical like Jameer Gibbs along with somebody who's big and physical and dynamic like Jace McClellan, I, I think it's going to be a great duo for them. And I think, you know, the the big thing too, we'll, we'll continue to harp on this as we get into more of the previews that, t- that touch on these teams. I think Alabama is going to turn back the clock a little bit this year. I think that they don't want to pass it as much as they have the past couple of years. And I think that with some improvements on the offensive line, with their running back room like we've talked about, and with the defense that they look poised to have, I, I think that this is probably a team that's really, really able to just suffocate teams to death. All right. We're going to keep doing this every week on this free show, the Apple Podcast Show. We certainly invite you for that. It's two ninety nine a month to get four shows. Uh, the Apple Show this week, we ran through all the preseason polls uh, for each conference and who the conference favorites were as voted by conference media members and whether we thought that made sense or not. And then we also talked about Shahan's trip to Los Angeles, where he went to the Pac-12 Media Days. So we dug in on that on the Apple Podcast Show. We'll keep talking about what's going on in college football there. As on this free show, we continue adding playoff contenders and ranking all the contenders in various groups. We've got to do receivers. we got to do quarterbacks. we got to do coaches. And we got to keep trying to add teams. I do think next week we definitely will get to the Pac-12, and that means a USC-Utah kind of discussion for now. He's Shahan J. Haraja. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.